Bigger than cakes. Give me some outside. Yeah, I mean, I was looking forward to it, and then I watched it. Hello, welcome to Bigger Than Capes. I'm Zach, and I'm joined by Will. How are you doing? Howdy, buddy. I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm good. That intro is loud, isn't it? It's, it's, it uh, is for us in this room. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> never, never normally play that before we uh, start recording. That's deafening. Yeah, that's something, I, uh, to, something to note for next time. The more you know. and, and Knowing's half the battle. So they say. Go, yeah. Joe. Um, so this week, we're going to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Reborn. Damn right. Volume 1, From the Ashes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really long title. And any title for a comic that's got two colons in the title? The double sub. Yeah. Real yeah. long, real long. Um, you want to do some, like, Zach and Will catching up type? The catcheroo. Yeah. Thingy. Um, I've still been reading loads of 2000 AD. How's that going for you? It's going real good. I'm enjoying it a lot. I think um, I'm into a cycle now where I'm understanding a lot of the backstory and characters quite a bit more. I think you do... People sort of know who Judge Dredd is, and I think, by extension, some people know Judge Anderson. Yes. Um, she was in the film. Indeed. The second film, not the first film. Right. It's been a long time. And I don't care to revisit it, so we'll never know. Um, <laughs> but it's t- it still takes a bit of time to figure out kind of what's going on. You'll get anywhere between one and kind of six pages worth of story yeah. that might run from one issue or over nine. And sometimes you're in the middle of something. But generally, once you've gone two issues, everything kind of cycles back. So you start at the beginning of a of a run of something. Mm. Um, I really like that it feels like it has a continuous history in as much that Dread is older now and everybody is. Yeah. They kind of concede that by saying, well, they have much longer lifespans for various drugs. So he's a lot older than he kind of should be. <laughs> but the fact is all of the characters kind of age and their world changes and it changes permanently. Mm. And uh, I dig that. Um, there's been a character I've been reading recently called Noam Chimpsky. Noam Chimpsky is uh, a, he's kind of like the anti-dread. He's a intelligent simian who just does good deeds around Mega City One, uh, normally against the judges, uh, but doing generally just pleasant, nice things. Okay, that's kind of nice. He's a cool dude. He has a little little hat with a little spinner on the top. <laughs> He knows what's what. I am um, a couple of years ago tried to get into 2000 AD when they did the you know like hey this is the jumping on point mm-hmm. issue. Um, and I think the problem I had was that some things really appealed to me and some things just didn't. Yeah. And I think the ongoing burden of 2000 AD makes that harder. But I have picked up some of the like humble bundle stuff, so you get you know a stupid amount of 2000 AD for very little money. Yeah, which allowed me to read some of the stuff that I was into. And that's that's good. I um 
I think what you hope yeah. for is that when you like catch on to a really good story, is that they'll make it into a complete volume at some point in the future. Yeah. So there's one within the Judge Dread magazine. So the the monthly one, not the weekly one. Yes, not to be confused. Called Megatropolis, which is like Dread retold, like Mega City One, but retold as if it's a sort of nineteen uh, twenties kind of Art Nouveau. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of thing. And it looks, like, fantastic. And they are making that into a trade, and that's when I would say, mm. if you're not reading the, the weeklies or the monthlies, just go and find Megatropolis, because it is awesome. But, I mean, the art's insane in it. It's, sometimes it is what I'd say is normal Western art, and then sometimes it's just, like, fully painted. Uh, slain is almost always just like yeah, full yeah. on paintwork and it looks insane. And to get that on a weekly basis, admittedly, you know, not they're not doing it every week over the course of 60 years, but you'll get it for six weeks and then a gap. Um, mm. but yeah, just enjoying it a lot at the moment. I'm getting, getting quite a lot from it. I got their uh, sci-fi special for this year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which is um, you get a little bit of a story from Kind of each of the major areas. So you have Mega City One, mm-hmm. Brit Sit, mm-hmm. um, Hondo City, the Japanese yeah, yeah. city, um, Oz. I don't know why I know so much, considering I don't. No, and I didn't know a lot of this until the sci-fi special. This has been quite. I mean, I knew about Brit Sit. I've read uh, Brit Brit Sit Noir from a yeah. few years ago. Is that with Armitage or with Devlin War? They're, the, they're I'm just going to say yes because I don't remember so I'm far just... from my from my knowledge. They're the kind of <laughs> they're the Brit sit guys, but there are definitely other stories that take place. Um, I know the Sov one as well, mm. and maybe more, but <laughs> they weren't included. Um, and then it all ties together at the end with like a, a little Anderson story that pulls all the threads together. That's cool. Yeah, it's really good on really nice thick stock paper as well. It's, nice. Mm. What have you been up to, G? Um, seemingly not much, but I mm. guess some stuff. I um, I mean, to continue on a sci-fi kind of thing. Uh, my Kickstarter for uh, A Cold Dark Universe, the sci-fi anthology from Black Hole Comics, turned up a couple of days ago. So I'm going to read that soon and maybe lend it to you and we'll do a, another Kickstarter sci-fi anthology episode. Because that's... A thing we do sometimes. I think that's a thing we do now, yeah. It's a thing we did at least once, so <laughs> that counts. Um, looking forward to reading that. And I feel like I've probably read loads of comics, but I don't know what they were. Is that a bad mm, sign? Is that Maybe. I've been... Uh, I caught up on Rick and Morty, the most recent season. Yeah, me too. That's I, real good. Is there, what, is there an episode from this week? There probably was last night when we were outside. <laughs> if there was, then I've watched it because I came home and... Watched what was left. <laughs> well, I have at least one episode scout. It's been pretty good, I think. Yeah. Maybe not as good as last season, but... No, but I think I still think it's been a pretty strong season. Yeah, I think I resisted getting into Rick and Morty for a good few years because I was constantly told I needed to watch it for mm-hmm. so long that the, you know, bratty teenager in me resisted. I know that. Um, and then about 2019... 2018. One of the years I just binge watched like three seasons and um, haven't really looked back. I think it's nicer and easier to be into now. People aren't talking about it all the time. Yeah, I think now the hubbub has died down. I did the same with Game of Thrones is I kind of mm. didn't get into it until 
I guess season seven was on TV. Wow, so okay. I binged everything up to season seven and then kind of caught up on a, on a weekly basis through to the end. And I did enjoy it, but um, yeah, I'm glad that we are not talking about it anymore. Yes, I had a similar thing. I got into Game of Thrones at season five and I watched four seasons in a week to build up to that, which was too damn much, I think. Yeah, I know someone I worked with who just started in the middle. That's just madness. It's madness, isn't it? Like it's I know people live. I know that we probably share a, an unfortunate trait of kind of completion. The burden of continuity. Yeah, with these sort of things. But even so, a show like that, which is very continuity driven, if you said to me, I started The Simpsons at episode 40. I'd say, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Fine. That's I wouldn't, I not probably, a problem. I probably wouldn't but... bother going back. But yeah, something like Game of Thrones. I mean, if, you, if you're not starting from the beginning, I don't know what you're getting from it. <laughs> a really weird experience. Yeah. There's so much you just won't know when characters come back around. That won't mean anything to you. That's weird, man. Yeah. Do you get that sometimes? I mean, I get that sometimes from um, superhero comics and shows where a villain, there'll be a big reveal. And I just think, I don't, I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah, I think there's often a, wonder who this guy is. This, this is, guy? Seems like oh, a big no. deal. Um, yeah, I think that is a, a consistent problem. I actually, that's something I read. I read the first volume of uh, Chris Campwell's Doctor Doom series. Mm-hmm. Um And there's a bit in that where they introduce like the agents who are working for the UN to catch doom. And they're like, give you the little name bubbles for everyone is. And other than like Union Jack, Silver Sable and Doctor Strange, I'm like, I don't know. There's like six people here who are just. Yeah, they're new on me. And yeah, it's got that thing where it's like, maybe, maybe you're like a big deal in Marvel right now. And I'm just out of touch because I've not read Marvel for like two years or Maybe you're someone we've dug up from the 60s and decided they could be on a UN team with Union Jack. I'm sure there must have been more British characters in the kind of Invaders stuff, you know, the kind of World War II. Yeah, right. Um, We just don't get them. We get Union Jack and Captain Britain, and Mm -hmm. we just cycle through which uh, Union Jack-themed outfit person we're going to (laughs) get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think we need more British characters who aren't dressed as a flag. I think that would be... Yeah, the nationalistic angle. You know, America at least has like a handful of their, I wear the flag. And then you've got the ones that, that don't. Where's, yeah. where's our... What would we have? Horseman. <laughs> what animals do we got? Badgers. Um, I mean, if you go to Scotland, they've apparently got unicorns. Yeah. That's... National animal. Yeah. The night badger. I think it's got a ring to it. All right, governor, drop the purse. I'm the night badger. It's like a kind of English version of Wolverine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But set in kind of Victorian steampunk London. Yeah, yeah. So, you you know, same sideburns, but um, top hat, cape. But a top hat, yeah. High society. I think we're onto something here. Mm. Let's let's call this out and post it to ourselves. (laughs) If Marvel want to recruit us to write their, like, English... Not even English, just painfully British, but kind of out of date with our own history. If they bring back that separate, separate like Marvel UK publishing wing, we're we're available. Yeah, and we're English, so fully qualified to write a comic about it. We've got at least one idea. So, yeah, yeah, um, we'll find an artist. And he's a footballer by day, but a crime fighter <laughs> by night. And, uh, yeah, it sounds about right. I just. I like the idea that if if you sat 
the Marvel Universe in England mm-hmm. or some of the Marvel Universe in England, you can just make reference to things that no one understands. Like, you know, Marvel Comics in America, it's like Spider-Man takes the runaways for sushi in an issue and stuff like that. You do it in England, it's like, what, you know, Spider-Man takes the runaways for a scone or some Eccles cakes. Yeah, they go out to a nice, you know, country manor and have cream tea. Yeah, I think... I just think, you know, I sort of like the idea that eventually you'd have to solve a crime in like Shrewsbury or, you know, that these are not... What are you going to swing from? You just got to walk. Yeah. You're just <laughs> in the Lake District. <laughs> You're done. Uh, like Midsummer Murders via the MCU. Mm-hmm. So everything's in a small village and it's painfully clear who probably is the killer, but... And yeah, just small town crime, but like, not like... Everybody happens to be dressed in Lycra. Yeah. It's like Vera, but <laughs> in unitards. I I don't know where this is going anymore. I think we've gone into a really like... We may have. Unlikely. Maybe that's why it works so well. I don't know, but uh, we shouldn't give any more of this away. This no, is this is good stuff. Absolute gold. We'll be on Kickstarter later this month. <laughs> Late, later today. Why, why wait? Just need to kill a name and we're done. Not called. Oi, oi, governor. <laughs> as the out great, as the any gravy. <laughs> and uh, other British idioms. Uh, yeah, should we talk about turtles? Yeah, let's do it. I um, <laughs> don't know where we're going to go if we don't. What about an English turtles? Oh man, I'd be into that. Mm. They're like based in the... Again, it's steampunk London, because that's the most interesting part of British history, one that didn't actually exist. This is true. I mean, if they're based in England now, what they they have to be in the London underground, because it's the only underground. Yeah. Um, we don't really have sewers the way we're told America do, or do we? We have Victorian sewers, but they're not very big, and they mm. were made for the only the very wealthy, so I think you'd have to really squeeze through some pipes. I don't think you can skateboard in them, if that's, if that's what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my immediate thought was, can you skateboard through English sewers? I bet you can't. Um, I like the idea of Donnie being a tech wizard, but all the tech is like steam powered. Are we sure this isn't a thing? Are we sure there's no like steampunk turtles book? Somebody's got to have at least drawn a picture of it. They travel through time. Yeah. So why, maybe, maybe why would they not travel to fictitious England? Maybe this has been covered. Still, good idea, though. Yeah. No. Let's talk about the actual book that somebody's actually written. Yes. Um, so the book that people have actually written <laughs> is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Reborn, Volume 1, From the Ashes. Uh, it is... <laughs> the script and the art is by Sophie Campbell. The colours are by Rhonda Patterson. The letters are by Sean Lee. And story consulting is Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz. This came out, I'm told, according to Wikipedia, the most reliable source of all information. Yeah. Uh, on September 2nd, 2020. My good God. Um, and then was followed in November by a Jenica miniseries and then volume two of this. Of this. And then um, volume two of Jenica earlier this year. I say earlier this year. Um, and by that, I mean it's released in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> earlier by the time you hear this podcast, probably. Also possibly not. Also possibly not. Um, so yeah, this is this is the most recent Turtles run. And 
as a volume one, it, it's it's a weird one because this follows mm-hmm. City Fall one and two, and that's a pretty big event. Mm-hmm. And I guess in some senses it is an ending. It feels like an ending to. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we're going into City Fall spoilers. No, a little bit. Yeah. It's not City Fall. Is it City uh, War? City at War. Yeah, yeah. I, I fell straight into that trap as well and just went along with you. But yeah, it's, it's City at War. If I have said City Fall previously and I don't edit it out, just know that I mean City at War. If you hear the word City Fall... Ignore it. <laughs> and hear City at War. So as a bit of a like precursor to this book, City at War is a kind of pretty massive event mm-hmm. where after the Triceraton invasion, which you'll remember from our previous episode, the <laughs> TMNT roundup thing that we did, yep. uh, TMNT Academy, that's the one. Um, after the Triceraton invasion, everything's kind of gone to hell a little bit and the EPF are running wild and team up with Metalhead, who is a battle robot at this point who's about 10 feet tall who mm. believed he was donatello but since found out he's not donatello and has kind of gone on a rampage where he'll do anything for more information and more technology to absorb he teams up with the epf to hunt down the turtles correct um and basically any available mutants they can hunt down as mm-hmm. well which basically leads us into some of city at war Whereas the other part of City of War is that Karai has come back from Japan and is now looking to reclaim her rightful place as the head of the Foot Clan. Which the Turtles kind of convince Splinter to go along with, but then there's a disagreement, which means that Karai uh, challenges the Turtles and Splinter to a the gauntlet. Mm-hmm. The gauntlet, yeah. Uh, to face off for the control of the Foot Clan, which Splinter... Declines. Doesn't want any innocent blood. Yeah. It's a good game. And um, most of the time. Chaos ensues, basically, because of. Mm-hmm. And the city. Is go- at war. Goes to war. Um, also, and this is summed up really nicely in like a one bubble thing on, on one of the first pages of the trade for what we're actually discussing. Old Hob has mutated a portion of New York City in an effort to thwart the apocalyptic plans of Kitsune. Master Splinter has died. So, Hob <laughs> Hob sets off a mutagen bomb, um, kind of in human style, as you pointed out yesterday, mm-hmm. and um, basically mutates everyone at Baxter Stockman's rally. Rally, because he's just found out or acceptance speech. Except- it doesn't really matter. Baxter's just thing. become mayor. And the bomb goes off and doesn't affect Baxter, luckily, because I feel like if it did, he would have become a fly person, a la the cartoon. Both Baxter and April get flyborged away. Yeah. Uh, miraculously, whilst the audience kind of get mutated into a variety of weird and wonderful animals. Mm-hmm. And um, as we mentioned, uh, Kitsune and her confrontation with the foot does lead to the death of Splinter. And also... um. Did I just say Kitsune? Is that true? No. Karai's confrontation with the turtles leads to the death of Splinter, and Kitsune rocks up to resurrect Shredder in the form of the dragon. El dragon. Only for the ghost of Splinter to thwart that plan and for Shredder to be resurrected as original recipe not possessed by a dragon, Shredder. 
who might be a good guy now, or at least uh, fingers crossed, kind of you know gray area guy. So, always a lot of time for Oroki Sake. Like he's the he's the original and he's the best of the villains. He is, and I think Krang has his moments where it's it's pretty close. But yeah, yeah Shredder is just particularly in awesome. this series. Like uh, I know we talked about it. I think on the on the TMT T. <laughs> TMNT. TMNT. I've said that word enough times that it should just roll off the tongue. TMNT. TMNT Academy, um, where there's a scene between Shredder and Krang on a boat. Oh, yeah. And they kind of, they go there to parlay, but end up uh, having a fight. And it's just, it's super rad. It Um, is. So I'm glad to have Shredder back. Although I did, you know, his original death was also awesome. Yeah. And I think 50 issues without him. Is, is pretty significant. It served his time, definitely. And uh, no, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be glad to have him back. Um, as you mentioned, this is a volume one that picks up on a lot of threads. Yes. I think it succeeds and it fails in different ways. Yeah, I... Obviously, so for Matt and Angela, we kind of briefed them with the TMNT Academy so that they knew... What was coming A, a good chunk. Um, I do wonder how easy this is as a jumping on point. Everyone, so we discussed this for book club yesterday mm-hmm. and everyone kind of agreed that they got what was going on and were okay with it. But I do wonder like how many of the wider world mm-hmm. picks this up thinking they were going to get a intro to turtles and instead got four grieving turtles and a fox feeding <laughs> homeless yeah. mutants. Yeah. Um, it... It helps that they're such a well-known property. Yeah, of course. All the characters. Can you know who the turtles are? You know who Splinter is, Shredder, etc. For the most part. It also throws a lot of the new characters at you without really explaining who they are. So to you and me, someone like Alopex has been around now long enough that... Since volume one, right? Is it that early that she's introduced? In the uh, Raphael one-shot, I think, right at the start. You might be right there. Um... (laughs) I think Although we might I think, need to dedicate some of our time to something that isn't. <laughs> I think I read them as original trades rather than the Oh yeah, of the, course. Deluxe. Yeah. I think yeah, she yeah. might come a bit later in my reading order. Um and they're sort of just thrown in and you get who they are through their interactions, through their actions, but you don't it never really tries to tell you what their history is. Yeah, I think that's true. And we do get a kind of compartmentalized version because um after the mutagen bomb. Yes, after the mutant bomb, um, kind of the mutated part of the city has been walled off yeah. as mutant town. So we don't really need to deal with Shredder, Kitsune, the Foot Clan, Karai, um, Casey Jones, mm. the Purple Dragons. Almost all human characters are excluded at this point. Yeah, so we get a quite slimmed down cast that allows us to just deal with the uh, four original turtles, the new turtle, Jenica, and Alapex, Sally Pride, Old Hob. Yeah, the mute animals. Well, not all of them, but... Uh, uh, yeah, even a slim-down mute animals, which which <laughs> is um, an interesting approach. I think it's a nice idea to kind of slim that down, but yeah, Alapex is basically just, this is a fox. Moving on. And (laughs) 
Maybe for a, <laughs> for a first volume, you have to do that. Maybe having the whole pantheon of characters, no pun intended for the actual pantheon, um, <laughs> that it would be, you've just got too much to explain there. And where I think it really succeeds is establishing the new status quo, explaining what it's like inside Mutant Town. Yeah. Placing the characters in kind of new scenarios. So Raphael's left the team again. Um, but Alapex is running sort of like a soup kitchen for new mutants who haven't quite figured out their place in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that worked really well. I think um, we talked about it yesterday, but it's not super action heavy. Yeah, this is um, pretty laid back on the action. I think we get a few action sequences, um, mostly with Sally, I think. Sally and... Just Sally that's fighting some of the mutant animal goons. Jenica as well fights the same. It's the same antagonist, yeah. <laughs> at least. And um, yeah, Jenica, Sally, and uh, the new mutant Mona Lisa, who is a kind of lizard girl. Lizard girl. <laughs> lizard girl student. Lizard student girl? She's yeah. not lizard girl. Chucha Anada. <laughs> um, she's pretty cool. She's, she's a pretty cool. physics I, student. I like her so far. Or would be a physics student if there was a university inside of Mutant Town. Another problem. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, as someone who's gone through all of the turtles at this point, uh, it feels very similar to the fallout of City Fall, where we get the turtles heading out to Northampton to lay low and... We kind of see that reflected here as, you know, you you have a huge event, you go and chill out in Northampton, wherever that is, and um, deal with the fact that you've been through some shit. Pick up the pieces, yeah. It's interesting here, I think it's a much heavier blow. I mean, okay, City Fall deals with Leo being evil Leo for a little bit. This is more to do with grief and coming to terms with the death of Splinter. Yeah. I, but I think it's really great how it lets that sit as well. And um, they don't shrug off the idea of grief. Kind of depression um, isn't just resolved by somebody making a, a quick-witted remark and then, you know, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm better now. People go through stages and they, mm. and they evolve. And even by the end of this volume, it doesn't feel like that has been ticked off as a problem for the past. Yeah. It feels like this is going to be an ongoing thing. And I can see why that might be off putting for some people because you've come for your turtles book and you're getting, as you said, a a story of, of grief, of greed, of like failed state. Yeah. Sort of mentality of dictatorship, of compromise of quite, quite heavy subjects. Yes. But it's, it's, um, it's really engaging. I think up for that rather than despite it. I think those stories are really interesting. And once you are a hundred plus issues into a into a comic, you've got to start taking a few left turns, otherwise you're gonna go extremely stale. And I think that's where this really succeeds, is the new launching pad for where TMT's <laughs> where, T- where TMNT is gonna go. I think is is really exciting. I think it's a good good place to be. I agree. I think it gives us a different kind of approach. I think if you were jumping on here, maybe although it will be initially pretty daunting in some senses. I think if you've prepared yourself for 
maybe not knowing what you're going to get, you're going to be okay. And it does feel like after 100 issues, whilst we've always had kind of an emotional aspect to the characters, it's always felt like a really well-balanced story. It's never felt too action-heavy or too... Mm -hmm. It's always felt like there was a core and whether that be Michelangelo or Donatello, like Donatello has been through a lot and he seems to be the anchor in this volume. Like he's the center point that tries to pull everything back together Yeah, with the help from like Alapex is an important part as is Jenica. But I think from the original cast, like Donnie's the, the, yeah. the pull point as well. I think it has been Mikey in the past. Like I think he's been the, the voice of reason, but definitely. I think we see, we almost get a, we see that Mikey as the youngest takes this the hardest, mm. which makes a lot of sense in some ways. And he, you know, doesn't really know how to deal with anything and kind of, as Donatello says, throws himself into taking care of his new cat, Clunk, and <laughs> yeah. staying indoors and not talking. And Donatello pushes to kind of make progress and make sure everything's going to be okay and drag everyone back together, mm-hmm. kicking and screaming, um, which is helped by Jenica as well. I think Jenica... Yeah, I think she's a big part of this. Um, doesn't really know how to bring people back together, but... I think as we said yesterday, I think Jenica has come in as this kind of big sister character who doesn't have all the kind of weighted history with the turtles, so feels free to call Raphael out on his bullshit and I enjoyed those bits immensely because I love Raphael as a character, but he's the sort of person that you're just kind of screaming at the page to say, just like this is so easily resolved. And Jenica just puts him in his place and tells him how like selfish he's being. And it's, it's a really great passage. Yeah. I do like though that he has essentially taken on this kind of almost Batman-esque role of patrolling mutant town with his little uh, dinosaur sidekick pepperoni, <laughs> just like I don't know, punching bad guys better and- than Robin. I think so. It's, it's a tough call, but definitely, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a baby Triceratops, right? I think so. I'm not great on my uh, pink and yellow dinosaurs, but my concern is like, will it ever grow? Is it? Is it like a piccolo dinosaur or is it going <laughs> to... I know Sophie Campbell did put up on Twitter a kind of uh, photo of some character designs and one of them was like evolved, mutated hench pepperoni, <laughs> which is well within my interest. Boy, can Sophie um, Campbell draw hench. Yeah, which I think we saw in uh, Glory, I think oh. is perhaps the most hench of... All the things. Just muscles where they don't exist. Yeah. Muscle muscles on top of muscle. muscle. <laughs> and that's something... Sophie Campbell's other work is something here. I, I think this does feel quite reminiscent of like Wet Moon and the kind of dealing with a lot and people... The fact that there's a lot of dialogue and people just hanging out and talking does remind me of Wet Moon, which mm-hmm. is, you know, makes good sense because... It's a good script and the characters are well-defined and the way they bounce off each other is really good. Yeah. I would say as well, I think people agreed yesterday at the club that despite it having to deal with what has come before and tidying up some of those kind of loose ends, Mm. the narrative itself is followable and 
yeah. en- engaging on its own. So if you don't know those things, I don't think it's a massive drawback. And by the end of this volume, it feels like a lot of that has been packaged away for a bit. So what's going to come now will be completely fresh. Like it's, a, it feels like a very good transition into yeah. Sophie Campbell's tenure on that book. And I think even though it's a volume one, it does feel like an ending to what's come before. It does, yeah. And I think it's very, very clear that Sophie Campbell's style differs from the Eastman and Waltz hundred issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also nice to see things revisited. Like I think, if I'm right, Pepperoni is introduced in the issue of Turtles in Time that Sophie Campbell draws. And I think so, yeah. So there's nice continuity there that we're getting more pepperoni. Um, always get more pepperoni, that's my advice. Um, and I think there's some interesting things, like we talked about, we see Sally Pride in this, mm-hmm. and I feel like this is the first time we've seen Sophie Campbell draw uh, Sally Pride, and she looks better in this than... She never looks better. The design for Sally Pride in this is perfect just real real good and i think that's something that interests me that it's like some things feel like they're being continued from previous sophie campbell bits Mm -hmm. i don't know what the word i want is uh sophie campbell chapters of turtles issues yeah uh there's some good continuity but then we're also seeing like things we've never seen which is Nice and different and... Three little baby weasel mutants. Three little baby weasel mutants. That's really hard to say, Will. Um, and they are, of course, Xanazink and Mushroom. Mushroom. My favourite is Mushroom. Um, which is interesting because we don't normally see kid mutants. No, and they've definitely gone that way because you have Lita as well, who is another turtle here Could up here. Albino turtle? Albino is, turtle. Is that a thing? Perhaps. Could be. I don't know. But I don't think we know enough about kind of real turtles. White and pink turtle. Um, but yeah, they've kind of brought in... Well, I think we slightly discussed it yesterday, doesn't it? It feels like the turtles themselves have aged into a position of authority. So uh, they sort of introduced a new tier of teenage mutants, ninja animals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is true. I think... It's weird to think that it's it's been like nearly 10 years. So, yeah, the turtles are not really teenagers anymore. No. Probably, I mean, I don't know what the, how they've been aging. We've never really tackled it. Or realistically how much time has passed. Yes. But, so, um, I mean, they, they feel like they're older characters. Yes. And maybe even wiser. Maybe. <laughs> um. But it definitely feels like we've had a good evolution of the characters mm-hmm. to where they are now. And I think we look at, I don't know, Donatello, Raphael, Leo, and the fourth one, Michelangelo. Um, oh, and, and I think whilst we still see things from their original characters, I think there's a definite transformation yeah. across a hundred issues, plus a bunch of tie-ins. And- <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, they fit into their archetypes, don't they? But within that, I think, is where the other characters bring in the additional depth. Yeah, I think Alapex and Jenica and Sally, Sally Pride, uh, basically all the female characters, actually, I think add a lot of depth and variety that Mm. the four somewhat stupid turtles don't. They're not the best at dealing with things at times. No, and they've always had Splinter. To guide them, if they... 
and now you know they've not got that kind of father figure. No, I think it's very cool. I think the additional characters, as you say, mostly kind of are um, female characters. It feels good that Sally now feels like a actual character, and that's not an argument to say that I think she's been dealt with poorly. I think there are several mute animals who've been dealt with poorly. Yeah. Um, Man Ray. I, I feel like Man Ray has never been given the space to develop. I just don't know who he is. We, we even get a cameo from him in this, like at the the kennel club, the, mm-hmm. the gig they go to. Um, Ray is there at the bar, but never really speaks to anyone and then vanishes. And I don't know if we're going to see more from him. I hope we're going to see more. I hope he's developed in the same way that Sally has been because his design is very cool. Yeah. He just he just isn't a character. He just said does what Hobbs says. I think we have a similar problem with uh, Herman as well. Yeah. He does what Hobb wants because Hobb's the boss and he's yeah. a soldier and he's a good... I'd like to get a bit more about Herman. Yeah. I think I would be happy to get a second Mute Animals miniseries or a second... But maybe they reform uh, without... Because, I mean, it feels like some bridges have been burnt. Yeah. Particularly uh, with Hob. Hob. Hob is, I think, increasingly not the good guy he sometimes... Okay, he's never been a good guy. He's always been a kind of tweener type. And I, I think in this, though, we see, like, he's trying to do the right thing, but it's unrecognisable to a lot of people. We, we hear that Mondo and... um. Seymour Goats, Mutagen Man, have bailed out on the mute animals. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of see why he's... And Pete. Yes. It's it's never a good sign when the, the boss of the, you know, morally grey area faction has suddenly got a logo and has got everyone matching t-shirts. But I think, that, I think it's a really compelling story of, you know, the revolutionary soldier who doesn't know what to do once he's won. Mm. Like he's he's staked out a part of New York for mutant kind who weren't mutants until <laughs> until he made yeah, them be. forcibly mutant kind. Still feels he's kind of got this messiah complex, isn't he? He's the only one who can save them. Yeah. But in order to do so, just compromises more and more on his kind of moral basis. The only thing that I think you get more from reading the other books is without knowing that Hob is a kind of grey... Not even an anti-hero, just a like an anti-villain. <laughs> is that a thing? I'm coining it. Bit of both. <laughs> if it is a thing, <laughs> sue me. Um, then I think this development is more interesting through that lens. Having seen him help the turtles, be against the turtles, help Shredder, be against Shredder, X, Y, Z. Uh, <laughs> and then end up where he is. Because from this book, he just seems to be a bit of a dickhead. <laughs> Yeah. However, it's weird because we do see that side though when uh, Diamond, the porcupine, attacks Jenica and Mona Lisa and is then stopped by Sally and basically fired. We then see that Hob is like, no, you are fired. Sally was right. Yeah. Even though Sally then falls out with Hob and tears the t-shirt off and bails. So this, I think we still get that little glimpse little that... He isn't all bad, but he is also trying to trade three weasels for food and supplies from the Foot Clan. So that's not... That's not cool. But yeah, I hope he continues to be complex. Yeah. I like Old Hob quite a lot. He, 
again, as, as a character that we've seen since the first issue, or damn close to the first issue, he is really interesting to me. And mm-hmm. throughout the Mute Animal stuff has been one of my favourite characters. So yeah, I hope we get that same complexity through the coming issues. I mean, we're both going to keep reading this. Of I course think we are. Pretty clear. <laughs> Sophie Campbell is in absolutely no way a step down. I, I love a lot of the art in the preceding hundred issues and there are different artists and some I liked more than others. Mm-hmm. Sophie Campbell is a huge win. Like I think her art style is perfect for the turtles. And I know, as you said, we've seen it before in, in bits. Yeah. But she's a great writer as well. And her handle of the characters, so it doesn't, it feels like it doesn't miss a beat of who they are. I, I completely agree. I think this is a very aware kind of writing of the turtles it feels like yeah just every all the previous hundred issues have been kind of taken in stride and now this is the culmination of that and Mm. that's it's interesting after after a hundred issues of kevin eastman and tom waltz to see the you know baton i don't know yeah yeah, i think that's a a usable analogy (laughs) to be passed to sophie campbell and I mean, it must be a tremendous amount of pressure to both write and draw all yeah. of this, but I think she's pretty much nailed it with these five issues. I and think so. I, I hope the, I don't know, is the 10 more issues out now? Maybe 15? Yeah, I hope they're all this good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they probably will be. And it ends on a good cliffhanger. I'm very eager to see um, how that works. It, and a very different cliffhanger again. It feels like they've set up a lot of problems with Mutant Town and then just smacked you with one more. <laughs> like, okay, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, we're definitely hit with something that's like, huh, all right. Not the. Uh, I expected a cliffhanger with Hob or Baxter or Karai and none of that. Mm-hmm. I do like during the gig scene. When, to be fair, all the mutants that go to the gig scene look awesome. All the mutants that go to the gig do look awesome. So, like, Jenica in Doc Martens, that she's cut the toes out of because she's got giant turtle feet, and um, Mikey in his leather jacket. Mm-hmm. All all that is great. Leo wearing shades in a nightclub. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we may as well do them all now, you know. <laughs> Raphael. Dressed as Raphael. Yeah. <laughs> um, only has one outfit, apparently, and it's a trench coat and a bandana. That's his jam. Um, it's really good. There's good attention to detail. That's something else. This is so distracted from my point, but the cl- turtles wearing clothes throughout the entire book is strange and different, but kind of cool because mm-hmm. it means that Sophie Campbell gets to continue to create, like, you know... Uh, like give them an image of like this is how this is what they all think would look cool for a metal gig and I, I i think we get we get that in glory where everyone's like incredibly hench with the like torn up t-shirts and yeah. the clothes that are like stretched to fit them and then wet moon does a great job of variety in character design and variety in clothing and we see that again here which is awesome and um my point it's your point that Donnie is a turtle in a turtleneck. At least in one scene, yeah. 
Uh, which is good stuff. Is that, really, that's when he's walking back to New York, right? I think it's when he's in the house with Mikey, kind of wandering around all sad. I think he's oh, wearing yeah, a, yeah. a very light purple turtleneck. Yes. Oh, it's good. It's just... It's good stuff. It's real good stuff. Um, my point was that we do see uh, Koya and Bludgeon kind of sat on top of the nightclub discussing what to do. And Koya's like, they're defenseless. They've not even got weapons with them. They're suckers. And Bludgeon's like, oh, I'll leave them alone. It's nice, It's nice, you know? <laughs> the fox and the turtle are kissing. This, this is love. This is good. And you've got Koya all like, ugh, eat their guts. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a nice scene that kind of shows that the Foot Clan have a presence still, even if that presence is like, you know, bartering with Hob for children to raise as soldiers and disagreements. And if this is the ideal time to strike down Raphael in cold blood. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Because I think like Bludgeon seems almost like reformable as a character. I see a lot of kind of like philosophy from him. And there's a moment in City at War where they kind of meet up, the turtles meet up again mm. and and seem to get on. And every now and again throughout the series, Koya's had similarly like slightly redefining moments. Yeah. And then she threatens to eat children. And <laughs> <laughs> it really undercuts the sort of the... I guess it's, it's that kind of thing of playing off like the humanity of the mutant against being, you know... A bird, a hawk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's weird that the hawk seems more quick to violence than the shark, but I guess maybe I don't know enough about hammerheads. Maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's pretty, the pretty damn docile in the end. Um, I don't know what the point was anymore, but it's very, it's good stuff. <laughs> I think it's just that it's good. I really like that Sophie Campbell acknowledges Donnie's metal shell. Yeah, which is something that we've seen now for a while. Like, it's got to be like 30, 40 issues, maybe more than that. Nearly 50, right? Because he gets... It's quite, yeah. He gets smashed pretty... And they get... Nah, me- okay, not 50, because 50 would be Shredder's death. So it's... Oh, no. It's prior It's the that. same time, isn't it? Because he is... He comes back with the metal shell in issue 50 during the gauntlet. That's right. I know comics. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's been 50 issues since he got a metal shell. And it's basically not been mentioned since. No, this is the first time that it's been like, that it's been drawn in and actively acknowledged that like Donatello's got a metal shell and has had for half of the comic. Yeah. It has big chunky (laughs) screws in it and it changes shape in the weather. Yeah. Giving him a bad back. It's just a good addition. It's just good detail. I think that's, maybe that's something that, Sophie Campbell has the benefit of perhaps having just read 100 issues as a fan and being able to go. I like that bit. I like well, that bit. It's got a metal shell and you guys aren't pointing it out, so I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm really into that. I, I think the attention to detail is really good and consistent throughout the the variety as well when we see like karate classes of mutants is hippos and bunnies and insects all yeah. doing all doing ninja moves it works it's, it's really, really cool good. that platform again of the turtles starting their own dojo and kind of having a school and being teachers instead of warriors i think is again a really really quite interesting twist you know they're going to get thrust back into the the nitty-gritty of it but yeah i like the interpersonal relationship stuff i like the and i i couldn't help thinking and this didn't occur to me 
until I'd like had time to sit away from the book and think that Hobbes' intention was to turn a load of people into mutants so there was enough people for his mutant army. Yeah. And now the turtles are teaching a bunch of mutants how to fight. Yeah, they're basically making his army for him. So, yeah, I can't help but think that at some point they are creating their own problem and Hob is going to get at least more of the mutant army he wanted. But as you mentioned, I think we're going to have to see the human characters come back into it, both good and bad. I mean, the Utroms oh, yeah. are still hanging around on Burno Island. With the Triceratons, With no the less. Triceratons. So surely like a lot of that's going to have to come back into play at some point. At some point, point yeah. Um and then we've got the EPF, who are the absolute worst. Is Bishop dead now? I feel like Bishop's not well. He got he gets <laughs> gets stomped into the ground. And uh, I I think dead. Um, so I think this sets off loads of super interesting storylines. Um, I'm really excited. I'm really. I think coming to the end of where it did. Yeah. Had they have just stopped. I'd have still have been satisfied. Yeah, I think City at War ends as a kind of uh, satisfying point. If maybe they gave us an epilogue issue that sort of, you know, and everybody lived happily ever after. I, I would have been happy with that. Mm. But I think Sophie Campbell's got ideas. And based on the other stuff I've read by her. Oh, definitely, yeah. I, I'm, on, I'm on board to, to see what that is. I... Yeah, I'm pretty into this. And I, I think it'll be interesting if we still get those spin-off series that are perhaps drawn or written by someone else. So we've still got that variety. Um, I think that's something that's kept it fresh throughout all of uh, the previous 100 issues that whilst Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz are like doing the ongoing, we've got people dipping in to say, hey, this is what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we mentioned on the podcast that Paul Aller and other such creators are available um has done some really great miniseries throughout Mm -hmm. and i think that would be cool i think if we can still get those people popping up on new creators whoever makes sense i'd I'd be pretty into seeing an ongoing and some stuff mini 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 (laughs) series mini series i'd be up for seeing some additional mini series going on definitely i always think it's been reasonable in the past and i think there is a risk with uh i think there's been some changes at idw in terms of personnel and there is a risk it becomes a cow that they milk for all it's worth and i don't think every mini series has been great like i said i didn't really get on with the first ghostbusters one that much i think the casey and april one is kind of completionists only it's a weird Weird miniseries. It's the first miniseries I read. Mm-hmm. Like I read it completely out of continuity. It's a weird place to jump in at. Uh, don't. It's not. It doesn't make any sense. Well, okay, it makes sense, but there is no way to figure out how this relates to the turtles. No. But TMNT universe, uh, the macro series, the kind of the villains and the heroes. Yeah, good stuff. Microseries are all really great, and it's just not too much of it. It feels. Like, it's telling you something worth finding out. Yeah. It's not just a spin-away story where it doesn't have any connective tissue to what's going on, and it's... Everything's done to make some money, isn't it? But it doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel like I've... No, it it all feels like it serves a purpose. Even... 
feel like it's been done with artistic intent, if not. Yeah, even Casey in April that isn't necessarily the most worthwhile, I think does add something to the Pantheon Rat King. Definitely. I mean... Narrative. Yeah, yeah. It definitely builds much more into that. I think, is it the first time you meet Ake? I think it might be, yeah. Or if not the first time you meet her, the first time she like actively does something in the Mm. plot other than just be present. So yeah, I've not, I've not regretted reading any of them. Like I say, I, I can't see her and say that they're uh, all absolutely stellar. Um, and if you just read the mainline series, you'd still have a great time. Yeah, I think what's nice about the um, additional stuff, the mini series, macro series, micro series, whatever you want to call them, is the idea that it can show you what characters are doing away from mm. the ongoing. So there's characters that we don't see for a while and the answer to what they're doing is probably given to you somewhere. Yeah. Which is nice. Absolutely. And, and more different. The Mute Animals volume that we mentioned earlier was really great. Yes. Um, so, yeah. They, uh, also, the uh, Turtles universe, which is essentially a very long, ongoing, a very long miniseries. Yeah. Which kind of goes co-currently with the main series. They get to tell a few... Well, they get to make a few kind of more risks in some of those mm. side series as well, like the artist choices and, um, you know, I remember one story that's just about Mikey accidentally getting involved in a casino heist or to steal a diamond. Yeah, that, I think that might be like the, the Michelangelo micro series. micro series right at the start, yeah. And uh, it's, it's really funny and it's just so off pace of what's going on in the main storyline at that time it was a really nice like palate cleanser just to see mikey have a goofy almost reminiscent of the cartoon era yeah uh, just kind of you know a bit it's a really good issue as it's well. a really good issue and it's, it's re- really dumb yeah um is everyone in costume so they just assume that he's then they think he's in a costume as a turtle but there's like a cowboy and a jester yeah. and yeah um I mean, that whole original micro-series where you've got, like, the Sophie Campbell drawn issue, I think it is, where mm-hmm. Leonardo fights an army of Foot Clan soldiers and um, Donatello meets Harold. And yeah. they end up being friends for 100 issues against Harold's Absolutely. will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whether he likes it or not. Um, which is something I really like. I like the idea that it's like, he has no choice. He is friends with Donatello. Yeah, he hates it. <laughs> don't matter <laughs> uh, I think we all have that friend that you know doesn't want to know us but we can't get rid of <laughs> not naming names <laughs> um, I feel like we're a little bit off point of the, right yeah, now we've gone but, into much broader turtles but I think that in and of itself is quite telling we've both really latched onto this universe and the and the full selection of characters and storylines that have taken place mm. the villains are just as good as the heroes the kind of support teams are just as good as the main characters yeah we've both read other similar things universe spanning kind of things and i don't want to speak for you but <laughs> i don't think there are many that outpace turtles for me um you are correct. I think this is like the creme de la creme. This is the It shouldn't be. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I often think like Am I right? Is it, is it definitely <laughs> is, brilliant? Is this the best? And 
I like to think that exposing a book club to this and them all agreeing that it's really good has basically validated what we already knew. Yeah, ratified our wild opinion. Matt wants to go and read all of it. Mm. And, um, you know, that's a good sign. I strongly encourage it. Angela, for better or for worse, wants to read all the Archie Turtles because she stumbled across volume six and... She just can't... (laughs) If it's a solid choice between something that's readily available... Or something that was published in 1996 once. It's clear she's going to go 96, yeah. For sure. Um, That'll be her next mission for picking up (laughs) cons across the nation. Um, It's good to have a plan. (laughs) But I I think that's been a good sign that it's not just as other people do want to watch onto this. It's at least validated our thoughts. And we're correct. And we're right. Sweet. As per per usual. Yeah, we are usually right. I like to think so. Except when me and Matt agree. Then you're both right. Then I'm right. Yeah. 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 Not really. <laughs> um, hey, we even agreed on last week's podcast. We did for the first time. I was hoping for an all four different, but Matt and Angela somehow agreed. I don't agree with that team up. It's wild. <laughs> um, but I agree. I think this is the best kind of licensed comic universe thing. Um, I, I have a similar thing with this. That when I started reading Turtles properly, it felt very similar to when I first started reading Valiant properly. Mm-hmm. And the realization that everything's quite tied together and unified and belongs. Um, but I think this possibly does that better than Valiant because it's so. I think it helps. So neat. It's 100 issues under the same writer. Zzz. And how rare is that in like superhero comics? Incredibly rare. And then for that to go on and. God, I hope Sophie Campbell gets another hundred. <laughs> Let's just do them in hundred blocks, and then whoever the next like coolest artist is in in a hundred issues, they can do a hundred. About the Turtles, kids, Bonatello, Michelangelo, Raphael. Is this a Barroso joke? It, it was. It began <laughs> as that, and it got out of hand. Um, I would be into that if it's like you know a hundred issues time, and we're like a hundred years later. Believe it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'd be into that if we could get like a, I don't know, Days of Turtles past. <laughs> no, well, that doesn't make sense. Days of t- <laughs> I don't know. Turtles of Future Past. That that makes more sense than what I was stuttering over. I don't know. Um, needless to say, I really like this volume. Yeah. It goes to places that whilst we've seen little bits of before, I think the emotional heft of this issue of these issues is greater than we've seen previously and the processing of grief and the kind of dealing with the death of their father is really well put together i think so and yeah. i i think that the variety of characters that we get to see the four brothers jenica alapex all dealing with the same thing but from completely different places mm-hmm. Makes this a really good volume. Yeah. And it also has, you know, weasels tearing through a soup kitchen and an adorable dinosaur and a scene where they all go to a metal gig. And yeah, the idea that Sophie Campbell really likes metal. I hope so. Um, Either that or just really likes drawing metal gigs and both work. I like her description of, well, it's kind of thrash uh, added to melodic. (laughs) Death metal, yeah. but yeah. That's... Um, 
but the character designs are great throughout. The new characters we see, Mona Lisa, Sheena, Mushroom, all all standouts for me. And uh, Bandit and his boyfriend, the platypus, oh, Bandit himself, platypus. a raccoon, is is good stuff. Um, but everything, I think the colouring from Rhonda Patterson is pretty sweet. There's some panels mm-hmm. that are in one, like single colour panels at the gig, which are really good. Um, like panel layout and dynamics are really good. Indeed. We didn't really talk about that yesterday, but yeah. Yeah. There's some, especially those like first few pages where we get like the, sh- the three panels of like them all holding Splinter after he's died and then the oh, funeral damn. page. It's... It's real good. Yeah. And yeah, that's me. That's all, all I guess. It's real good. Yeah. It's real good. I mean, I don't think I can sort of sell it hard enough. I, <laughs> I, I, I can fully appreciate why people would be apprehensive of why turtles would still be good if you're not, you know, eight. But it really, really is. It is, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I often wonder if it's just that we're both incredibly nostalgic. That we're actually just eight. Oh, yeah, if we've just not got past it. I did have a, a theory a few years ago that um, everything you were into when you were, like, seven or eight, you were probably dead right, and it's probably still awesome. So, like, Turtles, Power Rangers, Spider-Man, wrestling, all, t- all tick the right boxes. The Saturday Night Fever soundtrack... I you know I stand by them all. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for the, those teenage years where everything feels like it means so much more. Yeah. So I think a lot of the things that you like were between the ages of sort of twelve and about seventeen, when you're all hormonal, they really stick with you. I think throughout your entire life. That's true. Yeah. There's so much from those years that I revisit now. I think everyone might think this sucks, but they they're wrong. Know. They just don't know. They just don't know what's good about it. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but this isn't one of them. No, this is read, genuinely good, I think. Read this now because it is just good. Or read this as a teenager and love it forever. I don't know any teenagers, I, but... It's not It's not good that we for us to know teenagers. <laughs> no, true. I'm probably related to some, but... Yeah, yeah we don't see each other. I don't know what the point was here, but it, it was very funny. I think we covered all bases though, right? I think we've... I, I think we have. I think we've gone from like, you know... Art, great. Character design, great. Colouring, great. great. Panel layout, great. Story, great. Emotional heft, great. great. Oh, and for Angela's benefit, um, Sean Lee's lettering is, oh. is really good. It's the, great. Um one of my biggest complaints is normally like any attempts at handwritten lettering. So it's like the kind of, you know, it's a journal entry. Um, but I can read all of the journal entry stuff Donatello does. Mm-hmm. And that makes good lettering. Because it's not like in calligraphy. Yeah, it's not been written like um, in fables. It's always written like a challenge. If anybody needs to read what I've written, I write exclusively in capital letters. <laughs> I do that as well a lot of the time. Makes like, it easier. Aggressively capitals. Yeah. Um, but no, I think, yeah, lettering, colouring, scripting, arting, story consulting. <laughs> Don't know how much I can speak for that, but sure. Shout out to Kevin Tom as well, why not? I, I don't know if anyone's called him Kev before. I don't know if I... <laughs> Is it over-familiar? Kev Eastman? No? Can I? <laughs> Big Kev. I did my initial plan for this 
well, not this, this, but was that when I'd read those hundred issues of Turtles, that didn't come out as English. When I'd read those hundred issues of Turtles and after the Turtles Academy, my plan was that I was going to email Kevin Eastman and be like, you've got to come on the podcast. We need to talk and we do an interview episode. I've not reached out to him yet, but um, Kev, if you're out there and if you're listening. <laughs> to try for Laird the first. If he wasn't involved in any of these books. but No, but I'll make an exception. If, so yeah, Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, Sophie Campbell. I'll take all and none of you, whoever, whoever wants it. <laughs> I'm expecting it to be none, but yeah, I'm yeah. Gonna, I think we should send some emails out to do, do a podcast episode, talk turtles. All turtles all the time. God, I'd love to. I mean, we've already done two turtles episodes in two consecutive months. I think we can make it three months in a row. We're going to have like a bigger than shells. Ooh. Spin off. Maybe. We just talk turtles. Next week, deep dive into Bebop and Rocksteady. What makes them tick? Do we know? Do they know? Um, <laughs> Who is Sodi and why? <laughs> I hope, uh, I hope we get more Zodi and the kind of null side of things coming back in. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Big fan of Zodi in those, like, three appearances she's made. Yeah. Short but powerful. Yes. Like most scorpions. Mm. <laughs> yeah, just like most scorpions. Um, <laughs> so I think that's us. I think this has been a pretty strong recommendation for this book. Um, definitely go check it out mm. if you haven't. Get it, your chumps. Um, if you want to read the first hit, 100 issues of Turtles first, do that. I That's would, great I would too. encourage it. We both have for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> I'd do it again. We probably will. Yeah. I, I have to. <laughs> I bought all those hardbacks. I have to read it over and over again to justify it. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. I bet they, they look nice on the shelf. They do. Yeah, and that's what I'm all about. That nice shelf. That shelf space. Also, really good comics. I'm about that. Yeah. A little bit as well. <laughs> um, so we've been Zach and Will, Will and Zach, collectively bigger than capes, and we will continue to be. And remember that comics are bigger, bigger than, than capes. capes.